This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Time Sensitive, a film podcast exploring the best and worst under the radar movies released in the past 18 months. I'm Sam, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Ian. Shalom! (laughs) Hello and welcome to the show. Sam and I have taken you to the French Riviera twice now to explore the Cannes Film Festival. It's a series. It's a series. (laughs) Arguably the most prestigious of the world's film festivals, by the way. But there are a couple of fall festivals that bookend the circuit and cement the Oscar frontrunners early. From the canals of Venice to the shores of Lake Ontario, which are just as beautiful. (laughs) Same thing, basically. Same thing. We'll tell you exactly what you need to know from the 2022 Venice and Toronto Film Festivals. If you're new to Time Sensitive, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Our show is unique. We like to review movies not immediately upon their release like most podcasts do, but one last time about a year or so later before they disappear into the history books. And we focus on those movies that might have fallen through the cracks, not the major blockbusters or the billion dollar grocers, but the quality cinema swimming just beneath the surface. And when we aren't reviewing those under the radar movies, we find fun topics in the film industry to discuss. Whether it's comedy specials, short films, the Oscars, interviews, trailer reactions, movie news or just things we're into we do it for a laugh and to help you learn a thing or two and you're gonna learn today <laughs> as i mentioned in the introduction we are following a season one formula we recently revived for the Cannes film festival mm-hmm. earlier this season and there's nothing more on brand for time sensitive than finding something that works and beating it like a dead horse <laughs> very very accurate it's on brand for us but this time trust me you get two for the price of one two Part two! (laughs) Let's start by giving you some background information on the Venice Film Festival and some major highlights from the 79th annual event. Yeah, that number that you just mentioned, Sam, 79, is important because the Venice International Film Festival is the world's oldest. Oh, It's the oldest in the world. Founded in 1932 by, you guessed it, the National Fascist Party. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? (laughs) <laughs> Mussolini sure liked his picture shows. Oh, God. There actually okay. was an award named after Mussolini for a number of years until that was determined to be a bad idea after he was canceled and deposited and all that stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so... I'm not, I'm not joking. It was started by the fascist party. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. Okay. But back in the 30s, movies, especially American movies, were all the rage over in Italy, and the international presence led to a desire for Italian pride. Mm. Some folks took that nationalism a bit too far, as we later learned in World War II. But we are proud to report that the first film ever screened at the inaugural festival was the pre-code horror film Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, starring Oscar-winning actor Friedrich March. Awesome. Yes. Okay, well... That threw me off. Like, I didn't know that that was coming. It's the world's oldest and it's the most racist. (laughs) Oh, no. It's Um, all the Jews. (laughs) That's why we started with Shalom uh, at the beginning of the show today. (laughs) Hello to our, shout out to all our Jewish listeners out there. This is not an anti-Semitic podcast in any way. But since then, Venice has positioned itself alongside uh, the world's other big five festivals. Count them. The others include Sundance Film Festival uh, in Park City, Utah. Mm-hmm. For our international listeners, that's in the United States of America. <laughs> that's here. Yeah. <laughs> One that I've always wanted to go to. One day. 
the Berlin Film Festival in Berlin, Germany. Uh, the Cannes Film Festival, which we've talked about in depth yep. uh, in Cannes, France. And then the Toronto International Film Festival in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, which we will get to shortly. Yeah, we're going to head north after we head out to Europe for a bit. I was going to try to do a Canadian accent. and Don't, then I just, don't even try it. And then I just gave up. Mi- I just stared at you <laughs> and I couldn't do it. I knew exactly what you were doing and it was bad. It was a bad <laughs> idea. It's not in the script, Sam. Don't read it. <laughs> The 2022 edition of the Venice International Film Festival was held on the barrier island of Lido at the historic Palazzo del Cinema from August 31st to September 10th of 2022. I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds super fancy. It's so fancy. (laughs) It's... Okay, so Venice is like a collection of islands right. and canals, yeah. and one of the outside islands that that's on, I believe, the Mediterranean Sea okay. is called Lido. Uh, that's an Italian word meaning <laughs> Lido. Sure, and it's hosted. Like you know how Cannes is hosted at that famous venue right. on the water. They have a very similar style, a very famous venue called the Palazzo de Cinema, which is like the Cinema Palace. Okay, I think I've seen pictures of like people arriving on boats, which is pretty cool. Yes, that's kind of like the the tradition. Like they come up in a little like wooden classic speedboat. And gotcha. Okay. You're probably thinking of Lady Gaga when Star is Born premiered. That there. must be. <laughs> that must. I think that's be what it. you were thinking of. <laughs> Film is just one of the many events, though, hosted at the Venice Biennale, uh, the international culture exhibition that's hosted annually that also features art, music, dance, uh, architecture, and theater. So imagine this is like a modern world's fair of sorts, and film okay. just happens to be one of those pieces. So kind of like, you know how South by Southwest has the film, the music festival, mm-hmm. and you know it's got so many other things going on. Very right. similar style set up here in Venice. Gotcha. But just okay. on water and in a much more progressive place. <laughs> Although Italy is about to elect its first uh, far right leader in like eighty five years, really? so oh, like since Mussolini, since Mussolini. Oh no. Yep. All right. Well, we'll see if the Venice uh, Film Festival lives through this. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about how it's organized. Yes. Split up into various sections, the film festival section yes, of yeah, it, mm-hmm. uh, including the official selection, um, the highlight of the festival. So yeah. it's like the main picture. Coup de gras. Yeah. Um, Various awards are bestowed upon the films uh, in the official selection category, and each winner is selected by a jury, kind of like Cannes is. Yeah, very, very similar setup to how Cannes is. Yeah. Um, The biggest prize of the festival, basically first place uh, in this case, is called the Golden Lion. Yes. So we just like giving gold things. Gold. So the the Can I paint as you who gold? (laughs) (laughs) Did not expect a gold (laughs) member reference here. (laughs) Because um, so remember, Cannes is the Palme d'Or. Yes, uh, which is like the the t- top prize there. The Berlin Film Festival is the Golden Bear. Oh, okay. So if you ever heard of that animal reference, I have not. Yes, it's it. That's the award at the Berlin Festival. This is a little bit different. It's cool. the lion. Rar. <laughs> Rar. Rar. Um, previous winners of this award include Joker, mm-hmm. uh, Alfonso Cuarón's Roma. Brokeback Mountain, Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, as well as Best Picture winners Nomadland. The Shape of Water, and Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. Right. Dates way back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Impressive. It's quite an illustrious alumni. Yeah. It doesn't... Not as many Best Picture winners as I would have expected. No. Venice is still a little bit slower. We'll, we'll change that formula when we get to Toronto, though. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, other awards include second place... Uh, 
There is a second place. In the other words, do include them. <laughs> there is a second place. Yeah. Uh, and the grand jury prize. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, the grand jury prize yeah. is for second place. Mm-hmm. And then third place, the special jury prize. Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> as well as the Silver Lion for best director and the Volpe Cups for best actor and best actress. Yeah, these awards piss me off because okay, you have the Golden Lion, right, for yeah. first place. Why isn't second place the Silver Lion? Yeah. And third place the Bronze Lion? You're so close to Greece where they created the Olympics. <laughs> Figure it Can, out, Italy. Can we do this right? It was Mussolini's attempt to like be different. <laughs> we need to change it. He's up. like, it, it's, it, it, he's like, uh, it, it'd be the Grand Jury Prize. <laughs> the, the best Italian accent I think I've ever I'm sorry heard. to my family for that one. <laughs> The 2022 main competition jury president was Oscar-winning actress Julianne Moore, who led a jury of international filmmakers from all over the world. Okay. Uh, Julianne Moore's jury awarded the Golden Lion, remember the top prize, to Laura Poitras' documentary All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Okay. which I think is such an interesting title, exploring the life and art of activist Nan Golden and her efforts to hold the Sackler family of Purdue Pharma accountable for the U.S. opioid epidemic. From what I gathered here, she's a, a, a photographer and activist from the 80s uh, that got her start uh, photographing and uh, forming an uh, uh, organization to support HIV AIDS. Sure. Uh, okay. HIV AIDS uh, protection and, and research and all that. Uh, and then she kind of transitioned after she got addicted to opioids. She kind of uh, she went off the deep end and then actually overdosed. Uh, oh, and wow. uh, survived, and then she's kind of created this crusade to battle against the people responsible for uh, gotcha. others like her. So that's what the documentary is is kind of cool uh, exploring is is her life and her and her work. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is only the second documentary to ever win the Golden Lion in its illustrious history. Uh, director Laura Poitras is the helmer of Academy Award winning doc Citizen Four, which you might remember is uh, about Ed Snowden and the NSA spying oh, scandal. Oh, right. Won- I didn't realize that that was the name of it, but yeah. I do remember that one. Yeah, it won, I think, 2015 or 16. Yeah. Best documentary? A few years back. Yeah. Uh, well, Neon has already acquired North American distribution rights uh, before the Venice Film Festival premiere of uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and it's set to release uh, on October 29th, 2022, so just over a month okay. from now, as of this recording. HBO Documentary Films, though, has acquired streaming rights, so hopefully this will land on HBO Max before it picks up an Oscar nomination. That would be nice. Yeah. We'll see with what HBO Max has been doing, if that'll <laughs> if actually If they survive happen. until then. <laughs> But yes, uh, by the way, the other uh, movie to, bet, documentary to win, I can't remember, the. there's a collection of numbers and then it's a, a name, but that was also nominated for Best Documentary as well. So I'm just assuming they're one for one on documentary nominations <laughs> that have won the Golden Lion. So let's do it again with this one. Yeah, that's that seems like a, a really big prize to not not take home the Oscar right. later on. Especially if a doc, for a documentary to win a film festival, it's got to be pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Especially once you see the competition that it's been up against. Yeah, there's some other big-name films that mm-hmm. were uh, premiered at Venice uh, mm-hmm. in the competition. First one being Blonde. Yes. Uh, directed by Andrew Dominic with an NC-17 rating. Yeah. Something that we don't see very often. Not since Showgirls. Wow, is that really like the no, last one? No, there's been others. But I was going to say, wow, that's so long. No, I just that's the one that most people know. But this one is getting a lot of uh, a lot of hype right now. Yes, good and bad. Good and bad, yes. Uh, but it's starring Anna de Armas mm-hmm. uh, playing Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it, it seems like it's going to take some dark turns. Yes. Um, but it is a fictionalized chronicle of the inner life of Marilyn Monroe based on the book by uh, Joyce Carol Oates. 
I think that what people are are misinterpreting is that this is a biopic of sorts, and it's not. No. It's it's a narrative version of her life that's that's purposely yeah. in uh, infatuated, and in, in, or what's the word I'm looking for? Exaggerated. Yes. <laughs> and infatuated. And maybe. infatuated. We're all infatuated yeah. with I, Norma Jean. I remember seeing something though that a lot of the scenes are based on like real pictures. Yes. So we have no idea what actually happened when the pictures were taken. Right. But the scenes were based on real images of Marilyn. That's why people need to calm down. It's not a, it's not a documentary by any means. Yeah, not super realistic, not no. trying to go full biopic. But this one is actually uh uh produced by Netflix. And will be uh, available to watch on September 28th. Yeah. So, so pretty soon. Pretty soon. I'm, I'm excited to see this one. Me too. I, I don't know anything about her. I've never, I don't think, I've, I don't think I've only seen one of her movies. But it, it's surprising yeah. how Anna Darmus looks so much like her. She really? never would have been my first pick. And then you put the blonde wig on, you draw the beauty mark, yeah, and it's uncanny. Yeah, you wouldn't think a, a cu- Cuban actress would I know. playing Marilyn Monroe. The, yeah, the most I know about Marilyn Monroe is all the references to her in Under the Silver Lake, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> For being one of the most famous actresses in the world, I, I don't think we've ever really dove into her no. career. That's maybe maybe in a future uh, Vault episode, we'll explore some Marilyn Monroe pictures. Yeah, or we'll explore some and do blonde if it ta- oh yes if it tanks, if it tanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's too on the radar right now yeah it, it needs to fall a little bit very fall much on grace. the radar well another film that premiered in competition by the way this is another thing that i think that separates uh venice from other film festivals uh specifically can is that documentaries compete in the same categories that's pretty cool so you'll see we're different a little bit in toronto too but uh that's why a documentary can win the the golden lion where it might possibly not in other other right. film festivals uh, but another film that competed in competition alongside Blonde and uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is, I'm going to try to do this in my Irish accent. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can channel it with just the title of it. The Banshees of Inisherin. <laughs> All right. Close. Yeah. The Banshees of Inisherin. This is I've, one I'm excited to see, and I yes. only like found out about it recently. Right. It, it's kind of been below the radar until the trailer came out a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. as of this recording, but it's directed and written by... Martin McDonough, one, oh, yeah. of, one of my favorite filmmakers. It's this fifth film from the British playwright and director after, in his first uh, since 2017's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which of course won Frances McDormand her second of three Oscars for Best Actress. Uh, of course, you know him from In Bruges mm-hmm. and Seven Psychopaths. That, but I was surprised, though, this is only his fifth movie. Yeah, that is kind of wild. And I was like, oh, I've only seen a few of his, but turns out I've seen most of them. Yeah, you've, so, seen, you've seen most of them because yeah. there's a lot of space usually between yes, his movies. Yes, and he's reuniting with some of his uh, former co-workers. So he's regularly collaborated with uh, uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Yep. And the last time they played together was in In Bruges. In Bruges, yep. yes. Which I think Colin got a, a BAFTA nomination. But I was surprised when that Colin and Brendan Gleeson are both never have been nominated for an Oscar. That is kind of wild to me. Uh, Colin Farrell kind of makes a little more sense because he took like the action movie route for a little bit and those movies were bad and then he went super duper and indie. Yes. And like hit Yorgos Lanthimos right before he made it big (laughs) with The Favorite. Yes. Who was he? It was The Lobster and he was with who? That wasn't Rachel Weisz, was it? Who was he in that with? Oh, I can't remember who was in that. Who was one. a famous actor? Was Nicole Kidman? No, she was in uh, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell. Ah, that's right. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, but okay. the Lobster was also Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes. I can't remember who the actress was. Beside okay. Him. Okay. I want to say it's Rachel Vice, but that doesn't make any sense. 
Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> tangent. And, 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 uh, and uh, Brendan Gleeson, of course, uh, is has really struggled, I think, in recent years to go beyond like crossover really popular television. That's yeah. kind of where he's found his niche he's lately. Excellent, though. Oh, he's so good. So good in everything. Yes. Just if you haven't heard of this movie, it's it's kind of a really simple premise, but it's kind of a great like intriguing idea here. So the logline of the film is conflict arises between two friends when one of them abruptly ends their friendship with alarming consequences for both of them. That sounds like one that I want to read the tagline for for an episode that we do. I was like, <laughs> I can get through that without any stops. Speaking of Sam, um, <laughs> we're done. We're done? I was joking. I was trying to be like our friendship was ending the same way the movie oh. was. Get on my I pace. Wasn't, I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't quick enough. You gotta be quicker than that. <laughs> Uh, but the Banshees received a 15-minute standing ovation, uh, the longest okay. at the Fountain Festival that year. These things genuinely make me mad. I don't really have a reason as to why, yeah. but I feel like people are like looking at each other while applauding <laughs> and be like, are we still doing this, guys? I don't want to be yeah. the first one to sit down. I, I've been at like sporting events. I, I was at... Uh, the second time the Griffins won, which is the Grand Rapids hockey team, won the second time they won the Calder Cup. Right. I wasn't present, but I watched it live, and that applause only lasted like a minute and a half. Yeah. So can you Sports imagine just fans know how it works? <laughs> I think you could go into the middle of Brazil and watch a ho- watch a soccer game, and they still wouldn't applaud as much as the fake applause that you get at film yeah, festivals. It, that's that's my biggest problem with it. I was like, none of this seems like super genuine. Right. It seems like there, there's like a motive behind it because right. like, so we can report that this was the longest exactly. One. And what do you do? Like it's, it becomes exercise at that point. Yeah, you're like standing up and clapping your hands. You're burning calories. And yeah, what do all the actors do while they're they're dealing with this long of an applause? They just stand there and be like waving, <laughs> "Thanks, guys." They're like thinking of all the tables they've waited over their careers and like this is <laughs> I finally have made it. This is my moment. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of Colin Farrell, he did win Best Actor at the Venice Film Festival this year for oh, wow. his performance in the film. Awesome. Uh, so again, that's the Volpe Cup uh, for Best Actor. It's the same award name, but they give one to actor, one to actress. Cool. Uh, so he won that. This will be distributed by Searchlight Pictures, and it's supposed to be released on October 21st in select theaters. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's move to another uh, another movie that premiered here at Venice, mm-hmm. and that is Bardo, parenthesis, or false chronicle of a handful of truths. End parenthesis. <laughs> that uh, should give you a hint of who the filmmaker is. Yeah, I, I figured it out just based on the title there. Yes. If you didn't, you didn't see Birdman. No. Um, and it was directed by two-time Best Director winner uh, Alejandro González Inarritu, um, who directed Birdman and The Revenant, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yes, that's that's I, your tagline. I, I couldn't remember the full tagline. Based now. on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is a Spanish and English language mm-hmm. film. It's currently under consideration as Mexico's possible submission to the 95th Academy Awards for Best International Feature. Yeah, they haven't selected yet, but they're down to five finalists, and this is one of them. I feel like uh, if it's an Inuritu f- film, mm-hmm. you got a good chance of winning. Yeah. So maybe uh, throw that one in there. I don't know. The, the movie kind of got weird praise. One of them, I read one review that said it was almost too pretentious. Oh. Which I think is a really weird criticism for uh, uh, a movie by Inuritu. Like, I, I never would imagine that would be... His movies are a little bit pretentious. I don't know what too pretentious means. I, I don't know. I, Birdman, to me, seems just interesting. 
I never yeah. think of it as pretentious. Well, it's it's actors being mad at critics is basically like yeah. the whole the whole. But situation. it's it's funny. Like I don't think oh, of pretentiousness absolutely. as funny. I think of it as snobby, and I don't think sure. the Revenant is snobby. I think that the Revenant is beautiful. It is. It is a gorgeous. Yeah. Film. So I don't I don't know what that means, but either that means the movie's really bad. But I don't know. I, I, I It's on Netflix, so we'll Maybe have to give it Maybe it's anti-critics on that one, too. And it's going to get the same. <laughs> well, it's an interesting story. Tell us about it. Uh, it's actually a Mexican epic comedy film following renowned uh, Mexican journalist and documentary filmmaker who returns home and works through an existential crisis as he grapples with his identity, familial relationships, and the folly of his memories. Okay, I take back. Uh, there's nothing more pretentious than the folly of his memories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a documentary filmmaker. Yes. There's, a li- there, there's always got to be a little bit of pretension. In Circle jerk movie. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Plus, the lead bit. character looks just like uh, Inuri 2. Like, really? You, you, so, you remember Pain and Glory? Uh, uh, Pedro Amadovar. Uh, yeah, that was designed to be him. like an. Uh, yeah, he was playing him or a fictionalized version okay. of him. This I don't know if it is or not, but it, it's very weird. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Plus, well, it's this... like three and a half hours long. Oh. Oh no. Yeah. Not not it, not for that game. Got to set some time aside for that then. <laughs> yes. Um, but you'll be able to do it from your couch because <laughs> it's gonna come through Netflix. Yes. Uh, it will actually be in theaters on November eighteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will come to streaming on December sixteenth. Correct. So cuddle up for Christmas with your family. Watch a three and a half hour movie about a Mexican documentary. <laughs> Documentarian. Yes, everyone loves those. Yeah, there's such a long. We'll do our next. Our next episode is our favorite. Uh, our favorite uh, Mexican movies about documentary filmmakers. <laughs> there's a, it's an illustrious. There's list. at least three. Yeah. <laughs> One for each of us. Do you got another movie for us, Ian? I do. Speaking of cuddling up with that special someone, how about a romantic horror film directed yes. by Luca Guadagnino, uh, who you might recognize, and you probably should, as the director of Call Me By Your Name, and the remake of the classic horror film Suspiria, which Sam and I talked about yeah, we did. a long time ago on the show. But this film, Bones and All, is the name of it. Okay. And I think it was actually one of the ones I was most looking forward to in uh, this year, if you can go back to that episode in earlier season four. Uh, but it's based on the novel by Camille DeAngelis. It stars R- Taylor Russell, Timothee Chalamet, Ooh. Oscar winner Mark Rylance, Sam's favorite Oscar winner, oh, no. uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, Andre Holland, and Clovey Sevigny. Logline of the film, which it doesn't really tell us much, but a story of first love between a young woman learning how to survive on the margins of society and an intense and disenfranchised drifter as they meet and join together for a thousand mile odyssey. Okay. Can you, th- th- can you see Timothy Chalamet as a disenfranchised drifter? He's yeah. too pretty. <laughs> he, he is, but we've seen him as what? Uh, he was a, a drug addict and, and beautiful boy. Right, right. So he's got that got that under his belt. Maybe he can draw from that a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree that like he doesn't really give me drifter vibes. Yeah. And this is like, I think if I recall the description of it, I haven't read the book yet. I've been wanting to, but I can't find an audio of it available for free. Okay. But if I recall, it's like a cannibalism movie of some kind. Oh, spoilers. Like she, <laughs> I don't mean to spoil. I think that's the premise of it. <laughs> okay. It's like they fall in love and she like, she has a struggle. Like when she falls in love with someone, she has to eat them or like, or she's like, she's a, she eats people and then she falls in love. So she's like, she can't eat him because she's in love with him. Ooh, this could be based on Suspiria. This could be gruesome. It though. could be fucked up. Yeah, and I, I uh, the reviews for this one have not really been strong. I don't think many people saw this one, which is surprising. It must have been running at the same time as something else. Oh, okay. But I don't know. I, I, I I'm just interested. 
I'm curious. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing this. Yeah. One. Well, Luca uh, himself, he won uh, the Silver Lion for Best Director, which again is a stupid name. Should be Special Jury Prize Director Award, whatever. <laughs> but he won that. And sure. uh, the film is being released by United Artists Releasing. Hits theaters November 23rd. So right in time for Thanksgiving. You can eat your turkey and your friends. Oh, yes. I like it. Let's move on to one that I know nothing about, mm-hmm. but I keep seeing one person's face over and it's over everywhere and over again. And that is The Whale, directed by Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, and mother director Darren Aronofsky, which makes me far more nervous to see this movie than before I read the above, <laughs> above uh, statement. Um, but uh, it's based on a play by Samuel D. Hunter. Mm-hmm. And the person I keep seeing for uh the whale and his his resurgence coming yes. back to acting call it a comeback is brendan Fraser, george of the jungle himself george of the jungle himself mummy guy from the mummy he was in a f- crash one of the saddest episodes ever of scrubs <laughs> um but brendan Fraser is the star of the movie but uh mm-hmm. he is alongside sadie sink from uh stranger things ah okay um hong chow Downsizing, remember her? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She really hasn't done much that uh, of note since, but good cool. for her back in the game. And then uh, also Samantha Morton. Do you remember her too? I don't. She's a, uh, I think she's an Irish ac- actress or an English one. I remember she played Mary Queen of Scots in uh, Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Or Elizabeth, too, one of those, um, one of those movies. One of those periods. And she was great. Movies. She was great. She was great in it. That's awesome. Yes. But the premise of the whale is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 600-pound middle-aged man tries to reconnect with his 17-year-old daughter. The two grew apart after he abandoned his family for his lover, who later died. He then went on to binge eat out of pain and guilt. Yes. So it's not about an actual whale. It's about a human being who's really big, which is yes. kind of a mean derogatory term towards yeah. uh, an overweight person. Finally, we have a movie for fat people, <laughs> and it's Brennan Fraser in a fat suit. Oh, Yeah. Speaking of gold member, <laughs> remember Fat Bastard? Uh, I definitely remember. Basically that. the same makeup design. Same kind of thing. Yes. Um, but this one got a six-minute standing ovation that brought uh, Brendan Fraser to tears, which yes. is very sweet. Um, but that also means that this movie is eight minutes worse than <laughs> That's exactly how you rate them. Yeah. It's every minute counts as as terms of, of quality of film of the standing oh, ovation. Eight minutes worse than Banshees of the Inchern. Banshees of Inisharan. Exactly. Yes. That one. Oh my goodness. But this one of could it be any other It's why I gave it to you to uh, say production yep. company. It's A twenty four. Yep. And it comes out on December 9th. Um based on Aronofsky's other movies, this movie has has the potential to either make me very sad, mm-hmm. very squeamish, or like make me want to walk out of the movie. <laughs> They're like, all good emotions. Those like very like all of Aronofsky Aronofsky's movies make me feel something very intense. Uneasy. Yes. Yes. But intense uneasy. Mm-hmm. I heard that uh, I think the quote that I saw was Brendan Fraser shines in an average Aronofsky film. Interesting. Okay. So, Take with that Maybe what you will. Maybe it's not as intense. Perhaps. Grain of salt. Well, another movie we want to talk about is White Noise. It was the opening film of the Venice Film Festival this year. It's directed by Noah Baumbach, 
who you know as the director of Squid and the Whale, yep. Marriage Story, mm-hmm. the other half of creative partner and romantic partner Greta Gerwig, right. who actually stars in this new film, White Noise. Yeah, she's back in front of the camera this time after her Oscar nominations for Little Women mm-hmm. and uh, for Lady Bird. Yep. The film also stars Adam Driver, fresh off his collaboration with Baumbach for Marriage Story and an Oscar nomination that came right, from that. Yeah. Uh, Rafi Cassidy, who we talked about on our Vox Flux episode. Oh, right. Way back a time ago. Yeah. Also stars Jodie Turner-Smith, that beautiful model of an actress that we talked about in Queen and Slim. Mm-hmm. I-, I still think that's an amazing performance and she's undersold, especially her and Daniel Kaluuya together. Oh, my God. Still love that movie. <laughs> and none other than Don Cheadle. It's <laughs> <laughs> in White Noise. That reference there was to Barb and Star. Barb and Star, absolutely. Keeping you on your toes there, Sam. White Noise is based on the book of the same name by Don DeLillo, uh, mm-hmm. and it tells the story of a professor and his family who are torn asunder. I love that term. Asunder. Torn asunder. Oh, no. By a cataclysmic train accident that casts chemical waste over their town. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just didn't match. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It felt like a pirate movie there for a second. Like, they're turning us under. And then it's a cataclysmic train accident that casts chemical waste over their town. Oh, that's very sad. It's a sad... I'm crying, but not because it's it's, it's sad. It's white noise. It's what it is. That hits Netflix on December 30th. A lot of Netflix movies. Netflix is cleaning up. They, they, spend again, it, spend it more money. Right. The approach of grab everything, throw it at the wall, and see what sticks. And yeah. then probably Apple will be, still beat them. Yeah, most likely. Most likely. Uh, we did have some other premieres at Venice. Yes. Um, one including Paul Schrader's Master Gardener, mm-hmm. starring Joel Edgerton. It's uh, his third in this series of like really depressing male-dominated movies. He had first like reformed. with mundane jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Is a, is a preacher, a pastor, a mundane job? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. So first reformed, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Then you had uh, the, the, card counter. the card counter. What was his actual profession? He used to be in the military. That's right. Because he ends up killing Willem Dafoe. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. But yes. that stars Oscar Isaac. Yeah, that movie's it's, shit. It's so bad. And then we have one with Joel Edgerton, which doesn't instill me with a lot of confidence. No. About gardening. About being a master gardener. He's a master gardener. <laughs> Not just a regular one. He's a master. master. Uh, we also had Ty West's slasher film Pearl, an A24 prequel to the 2022 slasher film X that stars Mia Goth. Mm-hmm. This looks fucked up. It does look fucked up. The movie X is also pretty fucked up. Have you as seen well. it? I have. That's like It's like a porn parody, right? It's not necessarily a parody. It's actually handled pretty well. Okay. Like, um, but it is... Um, about like uh, an older couple that's like killing this uh, this cast of people trying to film a, uh, an adult film. Okay. Um, and like apparently they they filmed Ty West filmed the prequel like directly after. Interesting. Uh, filming X, like the end of X, I think in a, like a post credit scene is like a trailer for Pearl. Uh, okay. So is Mia Goth's character the woman that's killing people in the old, X? The old woman. Oh, so this is like her origin but story. But she's also in X. Oh. So she plays the an old the old woman who is really kind of jealous of Mia Goth's younger version. Oh. And then we go back in Pearl, and Pearl is the older woman from X, younger story. Oh, this is too meta for me. <laughs> you know I don't do well with But flashbacks. I'm definitely interested in seeing it, and I've, I've heard it's gotten pretty good reviews. Okay. 
I, I've seen commercials for it everywhere. A24 is pushing this like no one's yeah. business. Must be pretty good then. Or they're getting into the slasher films well, again. Well, we're getting close to Halloween, so you got to right. be pushing it hard. Right. Well, another uh, premiere at the Venice Film Festival was Tar, directed by Little Children director Todd Field, about the wonderful world of orchestra conducting. Oh, this sounds like a perfect companion piece to Pearl. <laughs> they're basically sister films um but I, I think orchestra conducting sells it short as it does star the volpe cup best actress winner kate blanchett ah, okay uh, who is getting rave reviews for her performance and possibly in talks to win her third oscar she's so good she's she is i think one of the greatest living actresses on the planet she's today really good i had never seen a movie where i didn't like her and she's so underrated in movies that she's not nominated for like nightmare alley Mm-hmm. She's creepy as hell in that movie. She was movie. really good in that. I think she's wonderful. Um, and I don't know if... I just recently... Okay, I'm, so I'm reading a book called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, The True Making of Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. Which is a really, really interesting book. Uh, and there was just a... I think it was in that that I was reading where I, I saw this was... Someone was talking about... Oh, it was. Because they were talking about the, the mix between Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. Oh. Why they made such a good dynamic couple together. And it was the casting director that was talking about this. Didn't they hate each other too? They did. Okay. I'm not to that point yet. Okay. But it, apparently it was really bad. Um, but I was I was listening to this person talking, and I think it was Susan Sarandon who actually had this quote that she said, uh, "The great film actors of the early day, men had a very feminine quality in them, not like not uh, an inappropriately feminine quality, but like almost a, a maternal quality to them." You think of like Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn is what she kind of sure. used as the as the quintessential duo, and then the female component of that has a, a very masculine quality. That's not, again, not like I'm not talking gender norms and sex change sure. types things, but they have a more, uh, they're more assertive and uh, they're more in your face. Mm-hmm. And when I think of great female actresses, and it's funny enough, she's won an Oscar for playing Catherine Hepburn, I think of Kate Blanchett. Right. I just think she's the greatest that there is right now of doing that type of work. High praise. It's high praise. Take it. <laughs> We also had the premiere of The Sun, Florian Zeller's follow-up to his yeah. Oscar-winning film The Father, which won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins two years ago at mm-hmm. the Academy Awards. This is based on Zeller's own stage play, uh, and it stars Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, Vanessa Kirby, fresh off her Oscar nomination for uh, Pieces of uh, a Woman, and uh, Zen McGrath. Now, this one has really split critics across the board. Some really? who said that the movie is wonderful, it's better than The Father, and then I saw some people that's like, it's a joke how wow. bad Hugh Jackman is and how bad Laura Dern is. Oh, no. Apparently, the script is super contrived, and it's very like manufactured for emotion. Okay. So, for some people, that works. I'm one of those people. I fall for it every time. Super Oscar baity. Right. But from what I but so it's it's confusing because I have trusted critics that I follow that are split on this one. Oh, so some people have said like Hugh Jackman is laughably bad, really, and then other people are just putting him like in the top contention for best actor this year. That's wild. So I don't get it. I now I like I had no interest in seeing this movie. Yeah. at all. I like I enjoyed The Father, but I'm like I don't need a follow up. It's fine. Okay. Well, they're not related but, at all. I, yeah. That, okay. That I knew. Anthony Hopkins is in the Sun, but it's not the same oh, character. Okay. Yes. But like now that I'm seeing like. This could go either way. I am psyched to see it. Yeah. I don't know what to expect here. I can't imagine Laura Dern giving a bad performance. That's the thing I don't understand. That's true, yeah. So unless it's just super over the top. But I haven't seen her do anything like super over the top in a long time. Her her recent roles have been like crazy. Like Marriage Story was kind of like silly crazy. Yeah. But it was still... That I, was going to be my suggestion of maybe I still think that's good top. though. I okay. think it's over the top but in a good way. Like the character was over the top. Mm-hmm. She wasn't over the top acting. Sure. Is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. She wasn't chewing the scenery. Right. All right. But we need to talk about one thing. Do we? It, we have to. 
I'm sure people are like, why haven't they mentioned it yet? Don't worry. We'll talk about it. We have to talk about it. Don't worry, darling. <laughs> oh, you better worry this time, darling. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? This movie... Like, to, I don't, re- I didn't really know much about Venice going in, uh-huh. but everything I saw about this film festival was about this movie. It was like a Jerry Springer episode live. It was <laughs> wild. <laughs> Let, we're going to tell you the facts of what really happened, what didn't happen. The, the, the truth is that none of the things that reported actually happened. It's all fake. Everything you saw was fake. <laughs> it's like WWE. <laughs> it's all fake. I, I have to think that this is all publicity for the show. You think so? Or for the movie. Yes. So let's let's break down some of these uh, rumors that have started. So the first the first major one. Okay, so if you haven't seen the picture or heard about the picture, where have you been? It's all over the place. Yeah. But it's it's like a, a 1950s style thriller suspense movie. Yeah. Uh, it's it stars Florence Pugh, Sensi mm-hmm. uh, Award winning best actress Florence Pugh. Absolutely. Okay. Harry Styles, formerly of One Direction. Sure. Uh, that show that was on Great uh, that was in Great Britain. Britain's Got Talent. Oh, was he in that? That's where they formed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I know he was in Dunkirk. I just, I just want I want us to get to a point where we don't have to worry about Harry Styles acting. Well, anymore. this is not the first time we're going to be talking about him tonight because 2022 is the year I know, of Harry Styles. There's two movies. Yes. Okay. So Florence Pugh, uh, uh, Harry Styles, mm-hmm. Chris Pine. Yep. Uh, Post Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll, just baby. Throwing a name Hell in yeah. There. I, I didn't know he was in this movie, and I was psyched to see him on the red carpet. It's funny. To me, it sounds like this the casting director took a People magazine, shredded it up like a, like a ransom note, and just put names on a board, mm-hmm. and that's who was cast in this movie. Um, all over the place. All the place. It's directed by and starring yeah, O.W. Her, O.W. herself, Olivia Wilde. <laughs> Essential. And I have to give Kate Elburn credit because she called Olivia Wilde on her shit a long time ago. She really When did. I was giving her praise for a wonderful freshman feature of Booksmart, which we've done a great episode on. It's one of my favorite movies of mm-hmm. all time. And Kate's like, okay, she's not shit. She doesn't, she doesn't deserve any praise for anything. And I should have listened to her because apparently she's causing a lot of problems. Causing a ruckus. So let's just talk about what the, the first issue here is. So we all know Olivia had uh, dated J- Jason Sudeikis of Saturday Night Live and Ted Lasso fame for many years. They yes. have a few kids together. Mm-hmm. They were never married, but they had a few kids together. Rumor is, on the set, she falls for a young Mr. Styles, mm-hmm. who becomes her muse. Like, I was Josh Shafty's muse, and I'll cut jobs. <laughs> I kind of knew that was coming. Yeah, I, ha- I had to say it. Yeah. Um, so they, they end up breaking up during the filming of the movie, uh, Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis, and it's rumored that Harry was the homewrecker, that she was like mm. having an affair with Harry Styles, as one does in their 40s with a 26-year-old pop star. Sure. Right? Um, and then, so that was the first piece, and apparently things got so tense on set after that, Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde got into a bickering match. Yeah, I, I heard that she had to do some of the directing herself because yeah. she, Olivia was off with Harry. They were off canoodling. <laughs> we sound like we're 65. <laughs> they were fucking. That's what they were. They were, they were in the corner. There we go. Of, they Bring were on the, the set fucking in the corner of the set. Uh, but no. Okay, so Olivia has come out and said, hey, that's all uh, bogus. I had mm-hmm. broken up with Jason well before the movie started filming. There was no cross-reference there. Yes, she's dating a man much younger than her, but yeah. who doesn't? Right. Um, so, and then she's also saying that all the infighting with Florence Pugh is also made up. They actually have a very good relationship and they work okay. very well together on the film. 
But also, wasn't it supposed instead of Harry Styles, it was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf? Yes. So that's okay. You're going way back to another scandal. Okay. Okay. So the first scandal was that, and I think we've talked about this on the show, was that Shia was really cast in this role that Harry Styles ends up playing, and the rumor was that Olivia was not putting up with his bullshit and fired him from the set. Yeah. Like in a big hullabaloo type type deal in front of everybody, and she was like, "Not on my fucking set. You're gonna get your shit out of here. I don't want to deal with any of you and your ego." Right. Mm-hmm. Cut to the receipts four months later, yeah. where Shia's like, you know, fuck this. I'm going to bring my tapes. Yeah. He recorded her, recording her begging him to stay on the picture mm-hmm. for the sake of the movie, which I just think is the most diva shit I've ever seen. I love every second of it. <laughs> so much. Tr- There's going to be a movie made about the making of this movie. As there should. Yeah. Because the movie sucks from what I've heard. The really? movie is really bad. Maybe this will get fucking Harry Styles out of my face about acting. I don't know. I, I saw one like scene. I don't know if it's this one or the other movie we're going to talk about where he's like going in and out of accents in about a three second span, Ugh. which I know is your favorite thing when that Ugh. happens. <laughs> I think it's this one because he has an English accent in this one, in, or uh, like an American accent in this one. In his other film, it's a British accent. Okay. So that would make it's sense. It's got to be this one then. Yes. But uh, I'm so excited. I want to see Florence Pugh just like fucking carry this movie. <laughs> I want to see Nick Kroll and whatever the hell he's doing. <laughs> I just think of all of his jokes about himself, and I love his self-deprecating humor, but I don't yeah. think I can say it without sounding terrible. <laughs> uh, but then there was another uh, another rumor that there was infighting between Chris Pine and Harry Styles, and oh the rumor that Harry Styles spat on Chris Pine yeah. at the Venice Film Festival. Yeah, while he was, well, Chris Pine was sitting between Olivia Wilde yes. and Harry Styles, where there were rumors that they had broken up and like were fighting with each other. This whole thing is a scandal. While Nick Kroll and Chris Pine were showing the most support <laughs> for Florence Pugh on the red carpet. And I've seen like videos of people like taking this like like game day. Like they have a freeze frame. They're like circling. Drawing like, on it. The like, telestrators. Yes. You see Florence. Like Florence doesn't look at Olivia Wilde during the six minute standing ovation the film got. And like saying, oh, this is her, her way of, of giving a diss to Olivia Wilde. So this is all very weird to me because of course Olivia's going to come out and say none of it's true because it makes her look like absolute shit. Yeah. But here's the thing. I just finished Cal Penn's memoir which is a wonderful book, by the way. It's called You Can't Be Serious. Uh, if you remember Cal Penn from Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. As well as working on the Obama administration. Right. That's, I mean, that's ultimately what the book is sure. mostly Oh, that's about. what it's mostly about? Okay. Well, that's a huge chunk of his career. He leaves acting to go and work for the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a quite high up position, by the way. I didn't realize it. Um, but he got into the Obama campaign because of Olivia Wilde. Really? They were on House together. And Olivia has been a charity donor and contributor for many, many years. So she was in with the Obamas at the time, right before the campaign took off in 2008. Really? Okay. So they went to a benefit together. He met the pre- the president. He was senator at the time. Um, met Senator Obama and fell in love with the campaign. What he was, st- what he stood for. And then he started volunteering more. Even when they were like, he was arranging his house filming schedule to go back to wow. volunteer more, and he got offered a job. And so that's kind of how it began. But Olivia was the one that kind of introduced him to that. He speaks very highly of her in this book. Granted, the book came out before all of this. Uh, the book came out last year, um, before any of this kind of exploded. But this is someone who doesn't need to give her like credit for anything, and he's mm-hmm. talking very highly of her. So I don't know what to believe here. Maybe the power has gone to her head. The directing yeah. power. She's been behind the uh, behind the camera twice now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious to see her acting in it. 
Because yeah. I remember when we did Booksmart, we said, she's been in all this stuff, but we don't have any idea what she's been in. <laughs> right. She's been in a ton of things, like, and none of it, like, super high quality. No. She had, like, that one scene in the movie we watched semi-recently. Yeah, so it was How It Ends. How It Ends. Which, that was my favorite scene of the whole movie. She was so good in that. So good in that. Small scene opposite Zoe Lister-Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, but her, like, biggest credit to that to date was, like, what was that, a Star Trek movie? Tron. She was in Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy, and she was in House and The O.C., Yep, and yeah. then she was in that uh, uh, Clint Eastwood movie. I think she was oh, a, right. a major character. Oh, in that. Uh, I didn't see it. Richard but... Jewell. Yes. Yeah, she she got. And she, I remember she got flack for that because, mm. or she, the person who she was playing, uh, was a real person, a real journalist. Right. And the journalist was like, "That's not how it happened," because she was Olivia Wilde's portraying her as like she would sleep for scoop. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. If I recall the controversy that well, so basically Olivia has caused problems since she started. <laughs> really. That doesn't take away from Booksmart. It's an incredible movie. Go watch it. It's available on. Hulu I agree right with now. that. Yeah. So okay, that's all we need to say about this. Yes. I I, I was gonna be like Ian. You're gonna control yourself. You're not gonna talk about all this gossip. And here I am, just blurting we it all. We had to do it. It's coming out of every orifice of my body. <laughs> There's no way we get in front of a microphone and don't talk about this. Can we talk? <laughs> Here's the dish. <laughs> but we need to transition. We have we, do. A, we have a whole different. Uh, film festival that we need to talk about and we need to ciao ciao italy bye-bye we're gonna go to north america and the 2022 toronto international film festival yes nothing like the second smallest great lake (laughs) (laughs) hanging out by lake erie bustling city on lake it's actually on lake ontario oh second smallest okay lake erie is the (laughs) shithole ontario is it's almost there but it's it's fine it's fine. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's a top five Great Lake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto is actually a huge city. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's it's. I think it's one of the top ten largest cities in the in the world. If I if I remember seeing that correctly, it's a big city. It's huge. It's very big. Have you ever been there? I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would love to go. I've never it's been. It's gorgeous. It they, was a lot of fun. They've got the Space Needle thing. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, uh, the Maple Leafs. They do have the Maple Leafs and, there, and that's about it. But I would love to go and see it. Um. So we go from the the, the illustrious uh, history of Venice to one of the newest film festivals on the globe, but also one of the biggest. So TIFF, as it's commonly known, mm-hmm. Toronto International Film Festival, uh, is is intriguing because it's the, one of the largest film festivals on the planet today. Um, and unlike the other big five uh, uh, festivals that we've talked about, specifically Cannes and Venice, its top prize is the People's Choice Award. And like its name might suggest, it's actually voted on by the public. That's super cool. So no jury, no like uh, fancy people that are paid off kind of thing less pretentious correct it's less pretentious and this is a huge like we have we're talking almost half a million people go to tiff and it's in its heyday before covid okay like it's a huge festival it's open to anyone who wants to go and from what i've gathered the festival runs kind of annually it's not i mean it's hosted the official competition is is hosted annually but Mm -hmm. there's movies that show downtown toronto as part of a year-long festival to encourage uh viewership and arts appreciation that's awesome yeah. So a bit of history, though. Uh, TIFF was originally launched 1976 as the Toronto Festival of Festivals, because those Canadians know how to that name shit. sounds like a Midsommar kind of shit right there. <laughs> it's the Festival of Festivals. Oh, that seems culty. Yeah, it's very culty. <laughs> It's not though, uh, but here's this is what's so interesting about it is it was called that because it was about collecting the best films from every other film festival in the year and bringing them to the Toronto area for that people to view. Sounds really nice. Yeah, it's like the best of the best. Yeah, or the festival of the festivals. 
Um, so that's why if you ever if you ever realized it's common for films to screen at TIFF that might have premiered elsewhere throughout the year. Ah, uh, yes. So that okay. happens. You know, most of the time films will premiere at Cannes or at Sundance, and they because those Sundance is in January, Cannes is in May, and then usually they'll find their way if they're still popular, they'll make their way to one of the fall film festivals. Uh, but because there's so many throughout the throughout the globe, TIFF kind of is the last one that kind of culminates everything, and it's like a scrapbook of all the other festivals. Now, okay. they still have movies that premiere at Toronto. Don't get me wrong. That's still a very popular uh, move to make. Sure. And it's getting more and more popular as the film festival expands and its uh, reach gets bigger. But most of them have uh, – some of them have premiered elsewhere. Okay. So okay. You'll, you'll notice that. But recently, the People's Choice Award, that top prize, again, identified by who's voting for it, People's okay. Choice. Again, wait, this is, we don't have a golden animal. And no that, golden animals. This is the golden leaf. That would be, that would be it's, good. It's that not. Would be, but it that would, would be, be a really – like a uh, uh, a throw at can. Well, that is what a... golden leaf. That's what Polidori means. Golden leaf, oh. I think, or golden golden well, then we branch. Need to find a, we need to find another. What's the the golden maple syrup bottle? Sure. Because <laughs> I was gonna say bears, because bears are in Canada. That's but we can't do that's that. Berlin. Berlin. Let's see what else is in Canada. Give us some moose. Suggestions. The golden moose. That would be fucking incredible. Uh, Make it happen, Tiff. I know you're listening. They they have a lot of other fun categories. So that okay, should, cool. should definitely be it. But the People's Choice Award, again, this is not the People's Choice Awards, plural. I right. don't want to get us confused with that shitty award show that takes place mm-hmm. like in April or something. That usually Kaylee Cuoco or something hosts. <laughs> it's usually Wanda Sykes. <laughs> uh, no offense, because she actually hosted the Oscars last year. She so, did. Uh, she's doing it up. I was picking somebody on a lower pedestal. That's a much better idea. <laughs> yes. You're so smart, Sam. You go right from Travelocity or whatever. She's Expedia mm-hmm. to the People's Choice Awards. Yes. So, uh, Queen Latifah. That's who I meant to say. That, there you Queen go. Queen Latifah hosts the People's Choice Awards. Yes. Anyway, we tangent. Uh, <laughs> that award has actually emerged in recent years as a very reliable indicator for success during award season. Okay. So here's a fun fact for you. Since 2008, 14 of the 15 People's Choice winners have gone on to be nominated for Best Picture. Wow. 14 of 15. And of those 14, five of them went on to win the Academy's top prize of Best Picture. Wow. So it's a pretty solid uh, move for you if you win TIFF. Okay. Past winners of this uh, People's Choice Awards include Belfast, Nomadland, Green Book, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, La La Land, and Silver Linings Playbook. Just to name a few. That's a big list right yes. there. Okay. So it, it's an illustrious group of people, a uh, group of films, uh, and very, very highly regarded group. Absolutely. And the 47th Annual Toronto International Film Festival was held September 8th through the 18th. So it just wrapped up mm-hmm. recently. Uh, of 2022, and it was first held primarily in person since COVID pandemic suspended or virtualized the festival. So yeah. this is the first time we've been back in person. They waited a little longer. They did. Yeah. Canada's smarter with that kind of stuff. They than, are. Than other places. America. Uh, <laughs> due to uh, the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, state-backed Russian films and organizations were banned from the festival. Yep. Yeah. That'll teach him. That, that'll teach him to uh, from invading Ukraine. <laughs> you hear uh, you hear that, Mister Putin? <laughs> you can't show your movies here. <laughs> uh, this festival also features uh, a number of categories and competitions featuring both domestic and international pictures, uh, narrative and doc- documentary films, and feature length movies alongside shorts. Yeah. So a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. It's it's a buffet of movies, you would say. I feel like this would be the easiest film festival for us to go to. Like Yeah, it's close festival. by. Yeah. Tickets are fairly cheap from what I've gathered. Right. You might not get like the premiere screenings, but mm-hmm. you get like the subsequent screenings, which would be so cool. Which is perfect for time sensitive. 
<laughs> we're not the first build screening. <laughs> we're the third or fourth one. I'm like yeah. the Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we fit. After everything's kind of died down. Yeah. <laughs> no six-minute standing ovations for us. <laughs> we're too bored for that. But the 2022 People's Choice Award went to Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical drama, The Fablemans. I knew Sam would love this. Despite being uh, the prolific director's first ever screening at the Toronto Film Festival. So he won it on one try. God damn it. Don't get mad, Sam, because you're going to have to watch this movie eventually. I know I will. Co-written by Spielberg and his Lincoln and West Side Story screenwriter Tony Kushner, Mm -hmm. The Fablemans tells the coming-of-age story of an aspiring filmmaker. No shit. (laughs) It stars Gabriel LaBelle, Paul Dano, Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen, and Judd Hirsch. What? Again, (laughs) similar to uh, Don't Worry Darling, it's a conglomeration of actors from across the board. Aren't aren't Paul Dano and Michelle Williams supposed to be playing like a married couple? Yes, they're they're playing parents. That seems bonkers to me. Why? I don't know. I feel like Michelle Williams is here and Paul Dano is is here. Size-wise? No, I just mean like... Oh, career-wise. Career and attractiveness and (laughs) everything. It just doesn't make any sense. So you're saying Michelle Williams is gorgeous and Paul Dano got hit by the ugly stick. And yeah, the Riddler doesn't deserve uh, <laughs> Michelle Williams. The in lead case. in a Spielberg film and Michelle Williams as a wife. But she has a bowl cut, so uh, okay. that might limit the All right. <laughs> factor. But uh, The Fablemans has received widespread acclaim and currently boasts a 98% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Spielberg once again teams up with cinematographer Janusz Kaminski and composer John Williams. Probably get Janusz his 15th or 16th Oscar nomination. John Williams his 53rd, probably, I think Mm -hmm. is what number he's up to. The film will be distributed by Universal Pictures and targets a November 11th release date. Uh, So just so you know, remember, chances of it being nominated for Best Picture, probably 100%. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying the Best Picture race is over. Already? Saying that Fablemans is one of the best movies Spielberg's ever made, one of the best movies of the year. Uh, okay, I will absolutely end up having to watch this movie. You're going to. Um, Have you seen the trailer? No. Okay, you're going to eat your words because the movie looks phenomenal. Okay. Phenomenal. Okay. I just, I can't go into a Spielberg movie movie at this day and age with an open mind. That's it, your I, own fault. I, it's, it's absolutely my own fault, but it's also Steven's fault <laughs> for making some shit. What you might not know is that when uh, we were thinking about doing a Force to Watch episode with Sam, before we did Melissa McCarthy, I had proposed a Spielberg episode. But the thing is, you might hate his movies, but you've seen almost every single one. I've seen so many of them, which really confirms my decision making. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited to see this. Watch the trailer and get back to me. Okay. Because it's quite impressive. And a timely note, if you're an Oscar fanatic like, like Sam, no. Like I am. <laughs> Sam tries. He'll get there. One of these days. I think you've definitely gotten more into it since I we've I dabble. Been... <laughs> You're a supporting character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of supporting characters, timely note, just today, as of this recording, a few hours ago, Twitter was all abuzz, and our good friend of the show, Paul Willard, uh, reached out and said, have you heard the gossip today? <gasps> There's gossip? And I said, what gossip? And he said, the Fablemans. And I was like, what gossip is there? He's like, Michelle Williams. And I said, oh, no. Dawson's Creek coming back to bite her in the ass. But no, here's what's happening. She plays the mom in the film, mm-hmm. Matriarch. And in the trailer, she's about 80% of the trailer. Okay. Okay. But apparently she's a supporting character. The main the lead of the movie is this young kid that's playing Steven Spielberg over a course of his of his life, right? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently they're campaigning her as lead actress. It's in usually a, vi- a weaker category. I, I don't know. This year though, 
you've got Michelle Yeoh for Everything and Everywhere All at Once, oh, who is right. kind of like leading the category. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett for Tar, which we already talked about from Venice. Right. Then you you throw Viola Davis as a wild card. You throw her in there oh, for yeah. Woman King. Mm-hmm. This could be a very crowded category this year with a lot of really good performances. So, which is funny because th- this the reason why the Twitter was a buzz because all the all the people that are prognosticating and planning their the awards seven months in advance are saying, well, she was a lock to win supporting actress. Oh, so why are they throwing her in the lead category where she has more competition? My uh, I was going to say my parentheses. My hypothesis. <laughs> my hypothesis is. Fableman's had such strong uh, praise out of uh, Toronto that I think they're riding high on ego and they think they can do anything that no matter where they put they them, they're going to win. I think it's just being cocky. Okay. But I also can see the counter. I told Paul this earlier in our conversation. I think the counter of this is what happens when the narrative comes out that Michelle Williams should be in the lead but was relegated to supporting because there's no other woman in the cast, right? Because she's uh. the, the the primary lead woman or primary female character in the in the movie from the looks of it. Mm-hmm. And would it be like disrespectful to demote her to supporting just because she's not the boy that's the main part of the movie? Okay, I don't know. Michelle Williams has had some struggle, some struggles here in the past. I mean, she's gotten a lot of Oscar love, yeah. but remember her last controversy was when she didn't get paid for the reshoots of All the Money in the World. Oh, really? Remember that? That was the movie that Kevin Spacey was on. Yes, that he got fired from because he is a pedophile. He's Kevin Spacey. Yeah. yeah, and they brought in Christopher Plummer again. Mm-hmm. So Mark Wahlberg ended up getting paid for his reshoots mm. uh, at full, like full his full sticker price, and Michelle Williams did it for per, per diem. Wow! And it became a big thing because then Mark Wahlberg was like, "Okay, I guess I'll support uh, the industry. You know, donate my money or something like that." <laughs> I assume that's how he talks. I don't know. He's from Boston. With his Boston yeah. accent, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, oh, good for you. Oh, that, that's right. Because Andy Samberg plays him yeah. as Night Live. Okay, I'm getting way off track here. Um, but apparently, how's your mother? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, say hi to my mother. Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> That's right. You're so right. You're so spot on, Sam. As always, coming in clutch. But tell us a little bit more about some of the other winners of of the uh, Toronto Film Festival. Now, I, one thing I like about TIFF is that they actually label their first, second, and third place in the correct way. Oh, so the the second place movie is called the second. Place it's movie. called the second place movie. Yes. Yeah. It's the people's second choice. <laughs> and it went to Sarah Polly's Women Talking. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Ian doesn't seem very excited about it. Two but. things I hate: women and talking. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm just joking. I actually have a reason for hating this movie. And we'll talk about it. In a second. Yes, based on the 2018 novel by the same name uh, by Miriam Taves, mm-hmm. uh, starring Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, uh, Ben uh, Wishaw, mm-hmm. and Francis McDormand. Yeah. So big names cast. Cast is bonkers. Like, yeah. Cast is super good. Well, we have our feel. We have our ups and downs on Jesse Buckley, but the other ones, absolutely. Okay. Jesse Buckley is a phenomenon. I don't know what the hell is going on with her career. She's got these amazing projects, and she's great in all of them. But the movies are shit. They're so bad. So bad, and she's so good. Nothing will ever top Wild Rose. That's my. I'm just making a yeah. prediction from she here. She made on a out. great start, and she's yep. I, she's not going to surpass Never. it. Never. Uh, but Women Talking uh, actually premiered at the Telluride Film Festival in Colorado on September 2nd and will be released by United Artists releasing on December 2nd. Yes. Now, Sam, your wife Kate and I have commiserated over this movie because it looks so good. We want to love it so much. But yes. We read the book by Marianne Taves. read Taves, the book. And the book is boring as shit. Yeah. It's literally women sitting in a room and talking. Yeah. For 160 pages. So is this going to be like a, a, a bottle episode kind of thing? That they is, is it just take place in one A one chamber room? piece, you mean? Chamber piece. <laughs> a a bottle. Bottle, bottle episode is what they call it on TV. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Okay. We're, we do a film show, in case you forgot. I, I, for, I forget sometimes. Yeah, I'm glad I could remind you. Um, <laughs> so the whole concept of the movie is that it's these women in a, a modern religious cult. Okay. Okay, and when I say modern, meaning that it's pl- fairly, fairly present day. 2010, I think, is when it takes place. Sure. It's in South America, but they're like uh, uh, like a pilgrim style. It's in style. South America? Yeah, yeah. They're, okay. like, they're in a, a faraway uh, area of South America. It's sure. white people. Okay. It's like they're. I was gonna say the cast doesn't really fit the location. Nah, nah. It's like they're missionaries okay. that have formed a cult in South America gotcha. somewhere, and they live in like uh, Amish style um, dress and like very sure. old school horse and buggy type stuff. Okay. Okay. So that's the like the setting, and it's these women talking about whether or not they should leave this cult because they're starting to think that they're being abused. Oh. Spoiler: They are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then they kind of like they like uh, uh, bring in like the the young little gay kid and like, hey, can you get us out of here? And he's like. Sure, because it's Ben Wishaw. He's like, sure. So it's Q from it's Q James Bond movies. I mean, that's what I assume is his character because there's only the one male character that has sure. lines in the movie, and he's the only male listed on the. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So this will either be really dramatic, and I heard it's phenomenal. Maybe, maybe it's just the it'll be delivered in such a great way. Yes. That it, we won't remember that it's a boring movie that takes place in one room. Right. And we, we should do a whole... I mean, we talked about Chamber Pieces before when we did our No Man of God episode. Yes. And some famous ones. We should do like a collection of those too because I've seen some great Chamber Piece movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Exam. It no, a really small, Yeah. Before. It takes place in one room the whole thing and doesn't even leave the, the confines of the room. I think of like the, the Ryan Reynolds movie Buried or whatever where right. he's like buried in a coffin underground. That's even smaller, right? Yeah. But then you think of like uh, uh, The Hateful Eight also takes place in one cabin. Right. Um, but that's entertaining. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know what I don't know what to make of this. Sarah Polly uh, was a former. Uh, she did had like one movie that was about her life. Like I think she was a documentary about her life. Okay. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was it was very well received. Uh, so this is her first movie in a while, but we'll see. Yeah. Let's move to third place. Bronze medal. Yeah. Titled third place. <laughs> uh, it went to Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, mm-hmm. which I am so excited to see. Yeah. Because I loved the first Knives Out. Uh, it is the much-anticipated and highly praised uh, first of two sequels to breakout smash hit Knives Out. Yeah, you might have heard of it. Yeah. Oscar-nominated. Oscar-nominated. I think everybody saw it. Parents and, and youngins alike, everybody saw this movie. The only thing you should probably remember is Jamie Lee Curtis looked hot as fuck. She was incredible in it. So gorgeous. Um, the ensemble cast includes Daniel Craig reprising his mm-hmm. role, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet. Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, and Dave Bautista. Just to name a few. Yeah. There's even more people in this movie, but yeah. great cast. Uh, I think, I, I feel like most people would want to be in the next version of yes. a Knives Out movie. Do you remember when we actually cast this ourselves? We did. We did it. We did a whole episode about we casting. We got one right. You got one I right. got Catherine Hahn. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. Um, but I remember we, it was a casting episode we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- fun episode back. Was that this now, season? It might have been last season, La- but it yeah. was an absolute blast. So fun, because we love casting directors. Allison mm-hmm. Jones is our favorite, and we've talked about her many times in the show. So we did a whole episode dedicated to the casting directing profession. Mm-hmm. And we we did a little bit of it ourselves casting the next Knife Out cast, and I got one right. You got one right. That yeah. was nice. Yeah. Um, it will actually be released, like a lot of the movies we've talked about, on Netflix mm-hmm. on December 23rd. That's going to be right before Christmas. I'm definitely watching it within three days of it coming <laughs> out. Absolutely. <laughs> What do you think of the title? Glass Onion. Glass Onion. I don't know what to take. There is a trailer out, but I haven't really watched it yet. Okay. I haven't watched either. I, I, but I, I have no idea what that's going to stand for. It's, it's got to mm-hmm. be an item, right? 
because like yeah. Knives Out was like the title of the book series. Okay. Uh, and have you seen? You've seen the first Knives Out. Yeah, right? I didn't realize it had a connection. Oh. I was too busy looking at Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I'm assuming it has something very specific to do with either being an item or or something like that. Okay. Like a golden orb, perhaps. Maybe. Sticking our gold theme. <laughs> Well, Sam, uh, we could go in depth uh, with more films that screened at TIFF, uh, but knowing their Oscar chances are high mm-hmm. because of the the previous statistics we talked about, we'll likely be talking more about them in the future uh, episodes of Time Sensitive right. as we begin our, our Oscar discussions in the, in the following seasons. Uh, but we'll list a few of them coming soon to a theater or computer near you, though, just to give you an update of where you might find something or might see something yes. coming up. So uh, let's, let's start with a couple uh, of ones that might be familiar names. Yeah, Germany's submission to the 95th Academy Awards International Feature category, Mm -hmm. All Quiet on the Western Front. I know that. Yeah. Um, So, like last year's West Side Story, it is not a remake. Right. We need to make make sure that that's clear. Although nobody else that doesn't listen to this podcast will recognize that. (laughs) Uh, It's not a remake. One Best Picture 1930. Exactly. We watched it in high school. Do you remember? Yeah. And Malanu? I didn't have him, so. Oh, Mandu. Mandu. Yes. I watched it in Mandu's class. Yeah. Shout out I, to Rich Mandu. Whatever happened that. to him. Grew his hair out. <laughs> Good for him. Um, but it's not an adaptation of that Best Picture winner. No. Uh, it is a new version that stars Daniel Bruhl uh, and will be released on, on, of course, Netflix on October 28th. My dad, I guarantee you, will watch this movie. The World War One movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on the same book that the 1930 movie is based on, but this is a reimagining in German. German. <laughs> But I, yeah, I will definitely be into that. I, mm-hmm. I want to see see that one as Apparently well. Apparently, the cinematography is beautiful, as it gather. should be. If you make a war movie, it better have spot on cinematography. Right. Uh, but another war movie that we have here, but this time a biographical war comedy mm-hmm. directed uh, directed and written by Green Book director Peter Farley. This is one my dad has actually texted me about oh, God. <laughs> before I saw the trailer, and that is the greatest beer run ever, mm-hmm. which is a great title. Or a stupid title. Or or, or a stupid title, depending on uh, who you're talking to. Uh, It's adapted from the book of the same name and stars Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray. Bill fucking Murray. Um, It's hot off uh, its best picture win for CODA. Apple TV Plus snagged the rights to this one and release it in select theaters uh, and via its, its streaming platform on September 30th. I watched the trailer for this. It looks good. Does it? It actually looks really good. Okay. So I'm excited to see it. Can I guarantee it'll carry all the way through? I'm nervous because it's written by Peter Farley, mm-hmm. um, and I have, still have no interest in seeing Green Book. <laughs> it might be an America rah-rah kind of movie, but okay. genuinely, this one looks like it could be good. Okay. I, and, I and don't... fun. It's, it's not like, it's not one of those, it's not going to be all quiet on the Western front. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a sillier movie. Okay. Maybe we'll give it a try. Yeah. I'm just waiting for like Netflix to put out Bardo and All Quiet on the Western Front and White Noise and yeah. all these very illustrious movies and then have Apple TV come in like the greatest beer on ever wins best picture. <laughs> With Zac Efron and a Boston accent. Oh, baby. oh no. <laughs> oh no. Well, as I mentioned before, you might be looking for some badass Viola Davis. I know Sam is. Always. Always looking for some badass VD. Uh, that's... <laughs> He's not looking for that. <laughs> we don't want that. We want Michael Davis. Oh, God damn. That's what I get for using acronyms without I notice. I loved it. 
Oh, God. Keep going. Um, well, if you're looking for that, look no further than The Woman King. Yeah. Uh, directed by love and basketball helmer Gina Prince Bythewood, The Woman King is a historic epic inspired by true events that took place in the kingdom of Dahomey, one of the most powerful states of Africa in the 18th and 19th centuries. It's currently in theaters right now. Yeah. So you can go and see it's it. It's getting excellent reviews. Right. Viola Davis is jacked as shit. She looks like, her arms look massive. She went full Michelle Obama on this movie. <laughs> and there's no way she doesn't have at least two or three <laughs> good monologues in this one. The difference between this and Fences is she's like piercing someone through the face while she's giving yeah. one. Yes. It looks very graphic. <laughs> it does It does look like it's going to be pretty violent. Yes. You don't want those graphic VDs. <laughs> it could be ugly. Also premiering at TIFF was Billy Eichner's Bros, which you probably see commercials for everywhere right All now. All the time. Uh, it's billed as the first gay romantic comedy from a major studio featuring an entirely LGBTQ principal cast. I think the only additions to this are like Deborah Messing, but she's like one of the greatest allies that mm-hmm. exists to the community. If you've ever seen Billy Eichner's uh, on the, Billy on the Street with Deborah Messing, it's hilarious. Go oh, watch I haven't. It. I need oh, to watch it. Oh, it's so that. funny. <laughs> it's great. Um, but that movie hits theaters at the end of September. I can't wait. It, I, looks it looks so funny. So funny. It's got Bowen Yang in it. How is it not going to be good? He's kind of taken over, isn't he? He, I'm, and I'm here for it. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. So Ever funny. Ever since he was an iceberg, he has kind of <laughs> taken over. There is a great video on YouTube to watch about the creation of that sketch. Really, it's him and a friend that did it like two o'clock in the morning. That's and amazing. It, if if you haven't seen the clip, go and look it up. He on weekend he plays the iceberg that the Titanic hit, mm-hmm. and he's basically t- taking the position that the iceberg is releasing a new like dance pop album, <laughs> and all people want to talk about is the iceberg, and he's offended by that, <laughs> and it's hilarious. Um, well, going shifting gears from uh, the gay romantic comedy scene to the illustrious career of Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes is recognized as best director of the Toronto Film Festival for his newest film, Empire of Light, starring Olivia Colman, Michael Ward, Toby Jones, and Colin Firth, which sounds okay. like a real British upper. It- <laughs> <laughs> sounds very serious. Apparently, it's a romance com- uh, romance movie that takes place in the 1980s, uh, but it originally premiered at Telluride, another one. So Telluride takes place right in between... Uh, the Venice Film Festival and the Toronto Film oh, Festival. Okay. So it's like Venice one week, Telluride kind of overlaps that one and then gotcha. overlaps into Toronto. Okay, uh, But they still recognize the movie still screened at Toronto and uh, showcased Sam Mendes and his body of work. Very cool. Um, it, uh, and it looks like it's bound for Oscar glory based on uh, just the fact that it's got two major Oscar winners in it plus an Oscar winning director at the helm. Mm-hmm. Just my impression. It, it checks a lot of boxes. For yes, us. yes. And the last movie I want to talk about uh, was My Policeman, which I think I've, I don't know if I mentioned on the show or not before, uh, but the cast of the film, My Policeman, which is Harry Styles' other movie. Mm-hmm. So Harry Styles, uh, alongside Emma Corrin of The Crown, oh, okay. if you ever watched The Crown, I, I think she not. plays Diana. Oh. I don't, I don't know if she does or not. I think that's what she did. Um, they actually together, along with their castmates, uh, were the recipients of the TIFF Acting Awards, which is the first time ever a cast has won those awards. Usually they're individuals that win those awards. Oh. So interesting. Again, this is voted on by the people. Um, actually, I think the, the acting awards are voted on by a, a selected jury, but where the people vote for the, the major awards themselves, the, the, the people's choice. Uh, but this appears to be Amazon's Oscar push. Oh. If you could call anything by Amazon these days a push, uh, <laughs> because since Manchester by the Sea, they basically collapsed as a studio. Yeah, we're done with that. Yeah, it's not, it's not doing well. But this is based on the book by Bethan Roberts, which is honestly one of the best books I've ever read in my entire really? life. Really? So good. 
And I read the book because I saw the the notice for the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this will be interesting. And I read the book. The book is amazing. So basically, it's a story of a young couple engaged to be married. And turns out the guy is not so into the girl. He's into the museum docent guy that's 20 years older than him. Uh. Okay? So he kind of starts this illustrious affair with this guy. And it's very, it's like in 1950s, I think, uh, Britain. So it's a very, I think it's Britain. Maybe the US. I don't remember. I'm exactly pretty now. sure it's Britain. Yeah. I don't know about the book, but I know the movie is. Okay, yeah. Um, so Harry Styles plays like this closeted guy and it's the book is told from the future tense. So it's like them uh, kind of retelling the story in modern day, ah. looking back when they were younger. And it's a fascinating idea of what happens. And it's, it's devastating. It's super sexy at the same time. So I'm curious. There's some Do you scenes. Think Harry Styles can pull this off. I mean, yes. Really? I, don't, I don't think he can pull the acting off. He can play the character. Sure. Okay. Um, but I. I this is I so this is the first time I've ever read a book with anticipation of the movie and like not wanted to see the movie because the book was that good. Wow! Like I have it in my mind of what what it should be and I'm afraid to go and watch it now because I just think he'll ruin it. Yeah. So unfortunately, not looking forward to the movie. I just really want to see it though because it's such a good book. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm really torn. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure on that one. I I haven't. I think there's a trailer out, but I haven't watched it yet. There is. I I refuse to watch it. Really? I don't want to see I don't want to see anything any going into touch it. of it. No. Okay. Because I don't want it to be ruined by looking at the trailer. You don't want a, a scenario like uh where the Crawdads or whatever the Crawdads movie was. Oh my god. That, oh, <laughs> that that movie was so bad. And the, the book is good, but the movie was really bad. Oh, that's really bad. So if you're if we're gauging Harry Styles movies, which one are you more interested in? The bisexual police officer or the questionably bisexual horror film movie with Florence Pugh. The one with Florence Pugh. How would I not pick the movie? There is nobody in My Policeman that I'm like, I need to see a movie for that person. Uh, but I need to see Don't Worry Darling for Florence Pugh. Okay. I, I'm hoping she just destroys the camera. Like, in a good way. Yeah. Like, she, like, tears the whole movie apart. I Yeah, I... The only... I haven't read too many reviews or anything on it, because I want to kind of go in fresh. Yeah. But all I've like really seen is like she completely carries this movie. Yeah, like it's not great, but she fucking carries it. Right. Well, keeping that in mind and looking at all the ones that we've talked about, which movie are you most excited to see from the Venice and the TIFF lineups? Oh, jeez. Um, because we've got some time to to plan for these. Some of them yeah. are, are got a couple months yet. But anything, I know you you really like the Knives Out idea. Yeah. But I mean, I think a lot of people want to see that. What is Sam most interested in, in seeing? Um. I think it might be Blonde. I thought you were going to say Fableman's. <laughs> no. It, it might be either Blonde or The okay. Whale, I think, yeah. might be my my two that I really want to see. I don't have a reason for really wanting to see The the Whale, mm-hmm. but I like it's intriguing to me, and I, I, I like Brendan Fraser, so I, yeah. I, I want to see him in a in a serious role. Okay. I want to see him do good. He got yeah. honored at, at TIFF. For his performance in The Whale. That's super cool. So he was, you know, he deserves it. I think he's, a, from what I hear, he's a great guy. Yeah. You know, everyone talks really highly of him, and this mm-hmm. is kind of like a, a long time coming type of thing, which is cool. Yeah, he was on that, uh, like, the last thing I know he did, I didn't watch it, but was like that a shitty DC DC Comics TV show on HBO oh, Max. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't even remember what it was called, but like, I know. He, that's like all he's really done until this. Okay. I'm hoping it's not like one of those Michael Keaton, Eddie Redmayne moments where... Like Brendan thinks he's gonna win because he's like the loves like the the favorite. Where he stands up like yeah. with his hand in his jacket like Michael Keaton did. Yeah, that was one of the saddest moments. But who just won an Emmy? Not Eddie Redmayne, Michael That's Keaton. True. Michael Keaton. Who's doing did. better? Yeah, Michael Keaton's doing great. Whatever happened to Eddie Redmayne? Where did he go? 
Uh, he did that Jupiter Ascending movie and disappeared. <laughs> I think he with just, Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. <laughs> I think he just kept getting skinnier and skinnier, and he just disappeared. He disappeared. Yes. Poof. Just boop. He's gone. <laughs> I really want to see Banshees of Inisherin. That's a good choice. Yeah, that's a good one. I just I am so captivated by Martin McDonough's writing. It's so good, and I can only imagine. Like I've seen a clip of it, and the clip is like, "Yeah, I don't want to be friends with you anymore." It's gonna need subtitles. <laughs> There's no <laughs> way it doesn't no. need subtitles. I just think it's such an interesting premise. Like, why did someone just all of a sudden not want to be a friend anymore? Yeah, it just it lends it's such a simple thing. But I, I can you just imagine the pressure? Like, what if I just stopped the show? Mm. Well, I can't do that because you didn't get it the first time. It wouldn't have had any good effect. <laughs> it wouldn't work this time. Yeah. Also, isn't isn't the guy from? Um Killing of a Sacred Deer, the kid from Killing of a Sacred Deer in this as right, well. Uh, Barry Keough? Yeah. Yes, he's also in it. That guy scares me. Yeah. It's the nose. Well, yeah, and his performance in Killing of a Sacred Deer is horrifying. He's also in... Um, the Green Knight. He's in The Green Knight. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's also in American Animals, which is one of my favorite movies. So good. That movie is a mindfuck, and it's so That was like one of... If, if we would had time sensitive at the time, we would have... You know, we're going to have to start, uh, again, we're good with series. We're going to have to do a series that's like, if we were around then, we would do this movie. Yeah. Because Vault is kind of different. We do big movies for the Vault mm-hmm. if we if we miss them. But I would love to do, like, American Animals is a perfect example of what we would do if Absolutely. our show existed in 2016. Mm-hmm. God, that movie's so fucking good. So good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to our kind of rambling, tangenty conversation of the Venice and Toronto International Film Festivals of 2022. How can you, you can't expect anything less. It's a kickoff to Oscar season. This is going to be me for the next seven We're months. We're excited. We're giddy. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's just me then. No, I, was gonna, I, didn't, think, <laughs> I didn't think you were. I thought you were trying to like play it up for me. <laughs> I'm actually very excited. Good. We're going to do it together, Sam. It's going to be great. <laughs> Uh, but remember, you can find our entire time-sensitive catalog of under-the-radar film reviews and fun uh, film festival episodes like this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or ever currently listening to us. And you can interact with Time Sensitive on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us at TSMoviePod, and that is at T-S-M-O-V-I-E-P-O-D. Tell us which fall festival premiere are you most looking forward to seeing. We want to know what's on your calendar, what what you've circled what release date after we've told you, mm-hmm. what movie do you need to see? It's probably Tar. Everyone wants the Everybody orchestra. wants Tar. Yeah, everyone wants... <laughs> Tar and Bros. This is going to be the top two vote getters. <laughs> yes. A uh, quick favor. If you enjoyed Time Sensitive, you like Sam and I, please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes. We haven't had any new ones in a long time, and we miss you. Yeah. We miss you all. We miss you praising us. <laughs> we liked the feeling <laughs> of being told how good we were. <laughs> So go ahead over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating review. It's a nice way to let other people discover our show and to make Sam and I feel really good about ourselves. Yeah, we need that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sam. And I'm Ian. Take care. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm one of the hosts of Massive Late Fee. Do you remember Blockbuster? Well, we do, and we racked up a lot of late fees there. That's why we're glad there's things like Netflix, Hulu, and Blockbuster has died, mostly because of us. We cover streaming shows and pretty much whatever we want. Join us every Thursday as we talk TV and movies on Massive Late Fee. You can find us at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee on Facebook. You can email the show at MassiveLateFee at gmail.com. Gmail.com, and you can find us at MySpace, Massive Late Fee. Massive Late Fee, the best podcast we can think of.